Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 1, beginning at the first verse. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Uh, thank you, Laura, for reading that for us. And let me uh, lead us in a short prayer. Uh, Lord God, please help us as we hear your word. Uh, may hearing it in the power of your spirit uh, encourage us in the grace and peace we have in Christ, and may it be for the glory of your name. Amen. Um, do keep that uh, reading open in front of you as we start this series in Galatians. Now, as we do that, if you live with people or have lived with them, you, you've had mornings like this, haven't you? you? You've had mornings like that. You wake up, you stomp downstairs, uh, walking through the kitchen, someone puts a coffee in your hand or maybe it's an orange juice. They, they wouldn't dare engage you in conversation yet. You look out the window, you scowl at the weather, you, you sip the coffee, and as the caffeine hits your system, you realize it's Saturday. It's a day off. I mean, nothing's changed, really, but, but everything's changed, hasn't it? The day feels a bit more like this now. It's, it's freedom. The sun looks warmer. Your, your husband has suddenly become charming. Uh, just in, in that moment, or, or housemates, children, they're, they're delightful now. The, the prospect of your day, I guess the, the prospect of your day, it's, it's no longer working to pay for the freedom of weekend living. Now it's just freedom to work at living. That's the world you live in at that moment. You didn't describe it that way yesterday, did you? You were you were just waking up, but if you can imagine that, if you can even remember having that kind of sense, if you can have that in your mind, it will give you a way in 
to this book or the, the beginning of it, uh, at least you'll have a way into this letter. The Apostle Paul, he, he's writing to churches around Galatia. Think central Turkey. That's the kind of area we're in. Uh, Paul landed there, and because of illness, he had to stay a bit longer than expected. But while he was there, he told people about Jesus. Many became Christians, and now he's writing to those churches. That's what this letter is, and he begins by saying, in effect, remember the world you live in. Remember the world you live in. If you believe the true message about Jesus, the, the gospel, and then look at what Paul says. Verse 4, we're just going to spend a bit of time there. Look, look at verse 4. Paul says, you live in an evil age. Sounds a bit weird, but I think even we can understand it. You, you know, as you, as you look at the news, invading armies in Ukraine, scandals around the post office, bullying that takes place at school, people not having enough food to eat. We live in a world where we feel at times, why does stuff like this happen? Why the injustice? Why this suffering? And Paul says, we live in an evil world. Age. There's things that are just not right, and he's got an explanation. He'll say that the, the root cause behind all of it is that all of us, even you and me, have, have turned away from God. No one's saying by that, though, that we're the invading army or even that we're always the school bully, but we're not squeaky clean, and we contribute to the stuff that's wrong, and you know that, and that's why Paul also says in, in verse 4, you are sinful people talks about our sins. You see that? It's an awkward idea, isn't it? The, the original word there for sin, the, the original means kind of missing the mark, deviating from the goal, kind of missing the target. A friend whose son was 16 decided to take his dad's uh, car keys one day when dad was out, jump in the car, have a little drive on the driveway. He, he missed the mark and he knocked the garage down. That's a big missing of the mark, isn't it? Boom, garage was knocked down. But this isn't a driving issue. This is a moral issue. Um, how you speak, how you think, how you talk to parents, how parents, how you talk to children, the things you do, uh, we miss the mark. Now, I reckon for most people, we won't say that we never do that. We know, don't we, if you ask us, do you ever miss the mark in this kind of way? Yeah, I, I miss the mark. The trickier question is more, who gets to say where the target is? Who gets to say, this is right, and that's wrong? Is it personal? Is that how we decide those things? Do we just set standards for ourselves? Is your moral thinking your moral feelings, are they reliable? It's not what we tell our children, is it? Just decide for yourself. If you think this is right, that's fine. Let's go with that. But that's one way of thinking about it. Is it personal? Or, or here's another one. Is it society? Should the majority view ultimately define morality? But what happens if a society is shaped in a way like Hamas, would that be right? 
or think at a much more uh, local level. Uh, do the popular cool kids at school get to say what's right and wrong? Are they the ones that decide? Is it the majority? Uh, where do we get right and wrong from? Is it God? When the Bible says we've missed the target, it's claiming God's the one who sets the target. Sin is, as you think about it, it's primarily measured in relation to Him. He sets right and wrong. Uh, it's worth thinking about, isn't it? How we, how we make those kind of moral decisions, even as Christians. Do you ever think about that? How are you making those kind of moral and ethical uh, decisions? You don't often say, do you, as something comes your way, oh, I'm doing this based on the reliability of my moral standards. Uh, we don't often say as we're making decisions, I'm doing this or thinking this because society shapes what I think. That's not the way it works. You, you, you know that. You, your thought processes don't go like that. But you will know things come at us from all directions, whether it's the war in Ukraine or topics like abortion or who you can marry. And what comes out is very quickly, well, what I think is. Or the people I talk to say this. And you're doing it in all those sorts of ways, the way we make decisions. And you realize that, look, how, how am I setting standards? Is that okay? And yet, as you begin to think about it, no matter how much some don't like the idea, if we want real morality, we need a foundation outside of ourselves. Have you realized that? Have you begun to think about it this way? Whether you think for yourself or as you're talking with others, uh, God being God is great because it means right and wrong are real things. They're not just things we've made up ourselves. But God being God is concerning because it means whenever we miss the mark, our problem will be with God. That's the world we live in, says Paul. Now, you could think, well, that doesn't just sound very much like good news, but Paul doesn't stop there. No, he says, look, still in verse 4, Jesus gave himself for our sins. Do you see that? He's saying, Galatians, Jesus took your place. All your sins, all the things you do wrong, past, present, future, were credited to him. He was treated as if those things that you've done wrong were his. And on the cross, he suffered uh, the penalty. And then all of his never missing the mark, that was credited to you. The, the Bible's got a word for that. It's, it's justification. You've been justified. It's a legal word. It doesn't just mean you're, you're not guilty. But more positively, in legal terms, it's saying you are in the right now, as you hear that, I understand it doesn't mean, it's not saying you've done or are doing everything right, but that you've been credited with the legal position of being in the right, and it's all been done, did you see this again, verse 4, according to the will of our God. That's His plan for you. Now, here's the thing, as you, as you begin to understand what Paul's saying there, as you, as you begin to understand that we, we still live in this present evil age. Bad things still happen. We still miss the mark. We still sin. We're, we're still waiting for that final rescue. It can feel like nothing's changed, like another morning you've woken up and nothing's changed, but don't be fooled. 
the world you live in is different now. That's why Paul can say grace and peace to you. Except it's more than that. Do you notice he's packed so much into these verses? Notice verse 3. You see what he says? Just You've got to spot the details here. Verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father. He says it again in verse 4, according to the will of our God and Father. Right at the beginning, Paul's saying God's not just about forgiveness. He is about family. Or put it another way, Jesus doesn't just deliver peace from God, justification. He also delivers you to God, adoption. Now, you notice how many people today think the message of Jesus is harmful and excluding. Paul says it's the opposite. The message of Jesus is rescuing and including in the most intimate way. Imagine uh, there's two young women. Uh, uh, Christina, let's call them Christina and Grace. They, they've become Christians say, here at Christchurch, and they're, they're talking about it. And Christina says to Grace, it's wonderful, isn't it? This message of Jesus that we, we, we've trusted, that knowing Jesus, he, he's forgiven all our sin and we're brought right into God's family. Isn't it incredible? And, and uh, Grace says, yeah, yeah, it is good, but don't you still worry about it sometimes? And Christina says, what, what is there to worry about? It's incredible. Jesus has done all this for us. What are you worried about? And Grace says, well, it, it's just that I know the kind of person I was. And I know the kind of person I still am at times, and I sometimes wonder what, what God must think of me really, knowing all those things I know about myself. Are you not worried like that? And, and Christina says, no, I'm not worried at all. Which one of those people, Christina or Grace, is the one who is really justified and adopted? And the answer is both of them. Both of them are. They're trusting the Lord Jesus. Being, being made right with God and being brought into his family, it, it's not a reward for really believing it well enough or really feeling it well enough. It's because of the Lord Jesus. If you trust him, he does this for you. The day you ask Jesus to forgive you, God puts into your hand not a caffeine-loaded coffee to wake you up, but this grace-loaded gospel. And when you believe it, the moment it hit your system, you gain Jesus and all that's in him. And now the world you live in is one where you are justified before God totally and adopted by God truly. It's not yet the freedom where everything Bad is gone, but it is the freedom of knowing you're loved by God, saved by Him. That's how Paul starts this letter. And if you've got that clear, if you've begun to understand, this is the good news of Jesus. If, you, if you've understand, that's what he's saying. Now come and see what this letter is all about. Look with me again at verse 6 and just hear this. As Paul writes, 
I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel that is really no gospel at all. Uh, two quick stories. Uh, first one, when Julie and I moved to London, we went to Regent's Park for the day. This was some years ago. The sun came out, and I'd forgotten my hat. Now, you can't imagine what bright sunshine on a head like this does. You can imagine that, can you? And it's not pleasant. I said to Julia, we, need to, we really need to go inside. And she said, but it's so lovely. Your head will be fine. It will be okay. And it really wasn't. And funnier than a bright red bald head is one that's also covered with after sun at the end of the day. And it turns out two things. Well, that bald heads really do burn. And the second thing is, I can be easily persuaded to do something foolish. Stayed out all afternoon in that sun. Second story, Andy was a guy I used to work with, walking his son to school, realized he'd forgotten his packed lunch. So Andy ran home. He was in a rush, so he thought he'd just jump on his bike. He couldn't see his helmet. He thought it would be okay. It's just up the road. It was only a few minutes, and he was clipped by a car. He smacked his head on the ground suffered a brain injury that the helmet would have protected. He was off work for over a year, problems with his memory. He's grateful that it wasn't worse, but frustrated with himself for, you could say, not living in the real world. You understand that? The folly of knowing the real world you live in and then choosing to believe something different, choosing to cause yourself unnecessary risk, pain, even death. If you can feel that, friends, understand with this letter. Friends, God is warning us it is possible to do that with your spiritual life. False teachers have come around the Galatian church and they've been taken in. Could you be? Could you be taken in in that kind of way? So two initial things from Paul's warning, just to land this uh, briefly. Here's the first thing. Changing the gospel means losing the gospel. Verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. The gospel, you, you understand that, it isn't just a way of thinking. It's not a framework for life. It has content that is to be believed, but it's about a person that you're meant to know. Paul says, you are deserting the one who called you. That is personal. And turning to a different gospel, that is content. Those things are linked the personal nature of it, and the content of it. Think about it this way. Imagine there's a, a young woman at church. Uh, she's called Jane, and a, a guy who quite likes her, she's called Archie. Archie invites her out for dinner. He wants to impress, but not go overboard, so he, he takes her to the, the Tiffin truck here in town. Nice, quite nice Indian food, and he asks her what she likes, and she says, oh, the spicier, the better. The spicier, the better. And he orders her a bland, mild korma. And she says, well, that's not what I like. And he replies, but I've always wanted to go out with someone who likes my old curries. So I'm going to act as if they're the kind that you like. 
And he tells his friends, James, great. We love the same stuff. She loves kormas. I love kormas. It's wonderful. But you know and I know, and Jane knows, that's not Jane he's talking about. And no matter what he tells himself, he really isn't in a genuine relationship with her. Paul is saying the same is true with Jesus. If you change the gospel, you will lose the gospel, and you will lose Jesus. Here's the second thing. We'll be tempted to change the gospel when we want to try and fit in. Paul's words, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. Deserting here, it means changing allegiance. Swap from this to that. If the gospel is good news, why would they leave it? As we go through this letter, and we're just beginning it this week, as we go through this letter, Paul will explain some of the wrong things they're believing and expose some of the reasons why. Let me show you one. Just have a look down at verse 10 of chapter 1. Paul says there's only one gospel, and anyone who messes with it is in big trouble. And then he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings. Interesting he talks like that. Have a look on to chapter 2 and verse 12. He's talking there, we'll come to this in a few weeks, a time when Peter wasn't acting in line with the gospel. And he says this, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. There was a group of people who thought something differently, and he, he was worried about that. He was afraid of what they thought about him. And then if you can flick over just to chapter 6, right near the end of the letter, we'll get to this after Easter. Chapter 6 in verse 12, and you'll see this line. You'll begin to spot one of the themes that's going through the letter. He talks about those who want to make a good impression outwardly. Want to put on a show. Why do Christians sometimes change allegiance, drift from the gospel? Well, one reason is what you might call fear of man. We're worried what other people will think of us. We want to fit in. We want, we want to fit in with the way that they think. And with the way that they live, it's something, friends, isn't it, to consider as we see the Church of England try to change its teaching on marriage. As, as the culture says loudly, the message of Jesus, it is harmful and excluding. You, you feel the pressure, don't you? But Paul would respond, the gospel, even when it challenges the morality of the day, it really is rescuing and including, and for the sake of everyone, even those who find it challenging, we must heed Paul's warning. To change the gospel will be to lose the gospel. So remember what he brings you. Remember what Jesus gives you, justified freely in him, adopted fully into God's family. Remember the world where you live.
Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, thank you for uh, this letter written for the Galatians in their day, but written for us as well so that we wouldn't drift from this wonderful good news we have in the Savior, the Lord Jesus. And help us today here in Cambridge as we hear these words to love and trust the Savior and not to be persuaded away from him. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. And musicians are going to come.